Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you guys are all doing well. I must say this March so far, this month has just been wild. It's already, as I'm recording this, seven days in, so like just about a week in, and it already feels like the month is over. I don't know if anyone else feels like that, but I have so much going on. I am about to go on a trip tomorrow, a top secret trip that I can't even share the destination. I can't post about it until I'm back. Like it's a top secret adventure, which I'm excited about, but I feel like I've been preparing for this for so long and now it's here and it already feels like it's over. You know what I mean? When you're so excited about something, it feels like it's for some reason you just, I don't even know what that means or what that says about me. But when I get back from that, just like two or three days later, I move apartments. So that's huge. Then I'm just, you know, finally getting my bearings in my new apartment, probably. And then I go away again on another trip. And I swear, I'm not usually like this. I'm usually such a homebody. I usually hate leaving my home. I hate traveling. I mean, hate's kind of a strong word, but I do find traveling to be very stressful. I'm not one of those people who's like always craving a trip. Like I'm, you know, fortunate to be able to travel and I always feel great when I get there, but I do find the whole process of getting places stressful, which is why I enjoy New York City because I feel like everything's so walkable and everything's like it's it is easy to get around, hop on the subway. It's not like everything is such a process to get around. That was a big reason why I decided that LA wasn't for me looking back. Like it just it felt like everything was a little bit too far apart or too much of a process to get around. And some people are, you know, totally into the way of LA and I'm happy for those people, but I just, I don't know. I think there's just something about New York and I feel like there's so much going on here that I don't really feel the need to leave very often. But for some reason, March is the month of me doing stressful things (laughs) because I just got back from a trip, going on another one, top secret work trip, then later this month going away with a bunch of my influencer friends and we're going to be like capturing a ton of content. So I guess it's kind of a work trip, but mostly fun. And then April is going to be here before we freaking know it. And then it's my half birthday. (laughs) Huge milestone. I'll be 27 and six months, which means six months until 28, which means like it just feels like my life is slipping through my fingers, you know, but in a good way, a lot of exciting things going on. But yeah, that was just kind of a rundown of, I guess, what I'm going through at the moment or what's going on at the moment. I'd say that all of these activities and things that I'm doing, it's keeping me busy, which keeps me from spiraling and overthinking. So that's a positive. (laughs) Anyway, you know what else keeps me from spiraling and overthinking? Sharing stories on the internet that I find from the depths of Reddit and beyond. And so that is what I'm doing today. Yet again, I have actually a double feature of sorts, like two different stories from similar time periods, if not the same time period, but different things that relate. 
if that makes sense. And I don't really want to share too much about the premise of it before. I kind of want you guys to kind of figure it out, the connection in your minds. I mean, both are like not amazing stories in terms of like, it's not really positive, but it's interesting. And the Scorpio in me is so interested in the weird stuff. And so if you like me are interested in the weird stuff, the stuff in history that people hardly speak about, and you're like, wow, that's like, that's interesting. Like, why did we never talk about that? That's where I come in. That is where I come in. That is where these two stories today come in. So without further ado, let's just get into it. And yeah, just buckle up. It's an interesting one. So, okay. The first tale takes us to Santiago, which is the capital of Chile. And we're at this church called the Church of the Society of Jesus. Spanish way of saying it is Iglesia de la Compañía de Jesús. How did I do, guys? And this was a Jesuit church located in downtown Santiago, which is, like I just said, the capital of Chile. And time period-wise, it's December of 1863. And because it was December, the church congregation was celebrating. They were having this Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which is apparently one of the most popular festivities of the religious calendar. I actually... I don't really know what this is, and I don't know if I ever learned about it when I had back in my days of being super, super religious, but regardless, they were celebrating. So the temple was decked out with an abundance of lit candles, oil lamps, wall coverings, like decor galore. And in the main altar, there was a large statue of the Virgin Mary that stood over this half moon shaped candelabra. So As you can imagine, a lot of lights, like they said, let there be light, and it was everywhere. Candles everywhere, gorgeous tapestries and decor to celebrate this feast. So just a few moments before 7 p.m. that night, tragedy unfortunately struck. Because of a flaw in the design of the church, they had these doors that instead of swinging outward like a normal door... I feel like that's the normal way a door swings. Actually, wait, my front door swings inward. But when I think about a church, like the doors swing outward, you know, you open the door or like even just to a restaurant or like anywhere, like you open the door from the outside, you know what I mean? So I guess it depends, but I feel like a public establishment like that, the doors should swing outwards. Well, not this church. Because of a flaw in design, the Church of Campania had doors that swung inward. And so on this particular evening, as the congregation was celebrating this feast and there was a service of sorts happening, this large, very strong gust of wind blew the doors open during the service and the wind caused a candle, one of the many that were in the church, as I just described, it knocked the candle off of the podium in a way that it hit one of the wall hangings that was like dangling. And so you can imagine what happened, like the whole place lit up because of just how many candles and fabrics and just like the way that the church was decked out did not help things, okay? So the wind knocked this candle off the podium, the fire started, and it began to spread throughout the church. And so In order to try to contain it, someone actually tried to put the fire out by smothering it with another cloth, but managed to only make the fire jump over to the rest of the veils that were hanging and from there onto the wood roof. And so it was just spreading like they could not contain it. The only option was to get out of there. So the mostly women attendees at this service panicked and tried to escape, but the side doors had been closed in order to leave space to accommodate more people. And... 
like I said, they could only be opened inwards, like all of these doors, leaving the main entrance as the primary escape route for most occupants in the church. So there were these large doors at the main entrance, and that was really the only option of escape. And because of just the timing or the time period, I should say, the men were seated separately from the women and just the religious nature of it. And so most of the men were actually able to quickly escape. And it could have been maybe the fact that the men were seated closer to the door, perhaps, or it might be because they didn't have this particular fashion item on their bodies that made it very hard for them to escape if they were a woman, which was the fashion trend of the time. I don't know if you guys know where I'm going with this, but in the 1860s, women were really into this one fashion piece, these large hoop skirts, okay? So they would wear these hoop skirts, a very specific kind of them that I'll get into in a second, but you can imagine, you know, they they would wear these hoops and then put the fabric on top. They took up a lot more space, okay? Typically took up a lot more space because of these large hoop skirts. And I actually looked up the common or the most common widths of these skirts or like how much space they really took up just to get a visual. And experts say that the hoops had a circumference, so distance around, from anywhere of like seven feet to nine feet or even at its largest, like 18 feet around. So imagine hundreds of women in this church with these large, solid hoop skirts trying to squeeze out the door all at once. And some would attempt to escape, but then in the panic, they would accidentally step on the skirts of the woman in front of them, and then the people at the front of the line would fall backwards or fall down and be trampled. It was just a whole freaking mess of these women trying to get out of the church, and the big reason why they had such a hard time was because of these darn skirts that they were wearing, these hoops around their waists. So very soon, the main entrance was blocked by a human wall of just women laying on the ground in agony. And this impeded both the exit of the ones trapped inside and the entry of rescuers trying to come in and get the women out of there. So the fire began around 7 and ended around 10 with the main tower or steeple of the church that was made of wood collapsing inward after the flames. Just It just couldn't take it anymore and it collapsed inward. And that being said, about 2,000 to 3,000 people perished in the fire And mind you, this was in a city that at the time had about 100,000 inhabitants, so entire families were wiped out in this fire. A Chilean newspaper at the time printed the names of over 2,000 known victims, and the same paper also printed a list of the objects that were saved by the priests, the male priests, and their value, which led to public scrutiny of the priests who had, you know, this makes sense, I guess, like, to be mad. I'd be mad, too. Like, the priests saved valuable objects over people which doesn't seem very godly to me, but whatever. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like, it... I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, 
indoor or outdoor. You can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Already under fire for designing a celebration mask with all of these candles and oils and flammable things. This just added to the scrutiny as well as the fact that the priests then said, they're like, oh, well, okay, this happened. They were trying to explain why it happened. And they said the deaths of so many women and girls was obviously the Virgin Mary saying that she needed to take them back to her. Like it was a religious thing that this is why it happened. So yeah, the priests were under fire for that. But anyway, After the fire, the remaining walls of the church were torn down, a garden was planted in the spot where it used to be, with a statue placed at the site where the main altar was, and to this day, the garden and statues still exist. So why am I telling you this terrible story? Well, number one, to keep the memory of these women alive, because I'd never heard of this. I'd heard of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, which happened here in New York, and was actually the reason that fire escapes became mandatory in New York City in like most buildings. I'm not really sure like what the code is these days, but that called for higher uh, fire safety precautions and things like that. But I'd never heard of this specific fire, the fire of the Church of the Society of Jesus in Chile. So number one, to keep the memory alive, but number two, to intro into a discussion of deadly fashion trends. Like I said, the women had such a hard time escaping the fire because of these massive hoop skirts that they were wearing for the sake of fashion, for the sake of their figure and looking a certain way. It's just wild the things that we do to keep up with the trends of the times. And it's not a new concept that people will do crazy things for fashion, like endure pain, risk their lives to the extent that a fire might break out. Like There are so many stories in history relating fashion choices and trends to death or illness. And it's been said, of course, beauty is pain. You guys have heard that before, I'm sure. Like Every time I get my eyebrows waxed, I think that. Or every time I put on a pair of heels, I'm like, you know what? We're doing it for the look. We're doing it for the pics or like whatever. And like we all do it. But back in the day, it was a lot more deadly than it is today. Like there aren't as many or nearly as deadly of trends that people follow. But back in the day, before we knew what we know now, people risked their lives on the daily just for the looks. So back to our story, the Victorian era, which spanned from 1837 to 1901. During this time, thousands of women are estimated to have been burned alive while wearing flammable crinoline skirts. Crinoline, C-R-I-N-O-L-I-N-E. This is a word I'd never heard before, but apparently this style of skirt was actually an improvement when it first came out. Like when it first was hot off the presses and women started wearing these things, they were like, this is an innovation because instead of having to wear a corset, like a stiff undergarment or a corset, it was an alternative 
to wearing multiple stuffy layers. The crinoline skirts, as they were called, were structured petticoats covered with fabric. But as the Massachusetts Historical Society writes, women liked these crinolines because they eliminated the need for stiff undergarments, therefore allowing the person that wore it to move more freely. So women wore them because, I mean, the reason why they wore these things in general, why they wore the corsets, why they wore any of these sorts of weird situations where it you know, really makes the waist look small and the, the hips and behind looking large, it just created this really attractive sort of silhouette for the time. Like they made a woman's butt look big while also making their waist look tiny, but apparently these crinoline skirts were able to achieve that silhouette without having to wear a corset. Like just the sheer volume of this, which I'll get into like the actual material that was involved, but these like these hoops, like the hoop skirt situation, like the layers of hoop that just caused the fabric to sit nicely on top. It just, the illusion of it all made it so women didn't even have to wear a corset. Like they just wore this gigantic hoop skirt. And as you can imagine, corsets are super restrictive and painful. And so people were thrilled to ditch the need for those and just wear the structured petticoats that were made from horsehair, cotton, and or linen that I found on Google. But Apparently, this one very popular version of a crinoline was made from steel hoops. It was called a steel-hooped cage crinoline, and it was first patented in April of 1856 by R.C. Millet in Paris and by their agent in Britain a few months later, so it became very popular. And yes, you heard that right. They were made of steel. So women were strapping themselves to this like steel hoop situation. Like they were carrying around all of that weight in the name of fashion. Hoops made of steel. <laughs> like imagine one of those banging into you as you're trying to escape a burning church through a crowded door and you're just like hitting someone's steel hooped dr like skirt dress situation. So steel cage crinolines, they were mass produced in high quantity with factories across the Western world producing tens of thousands of these things in just one year. Alternative materials such as whalebone, cane, even inflatable natural rubber were all used for the hoops, though steel was the most popular. And at its widest point, the crinoline could reach a circumference of up to six yards, which like I said, is 18 feet. And though flame retardant fabrics, so fabrics that would not catch fire or weren't as easily caught on fire were available to wear on top of the hoops, but they were thought to be ugly and were unpopular. They were not fashionable. So people did not wear them, though they probably should have, considering all of the fire-related deaths. But crinolines were worn by women of, I found this interesting, of every social standing and class throughout the Western world, from royalty to factory workers. So really, every class could afford to wear these skirts, I guess, or the, the actual, um, the base of it. So like the steel, what do they call it? The steel cage. But the fabrics that went on top obviously would range in price depending on what you could afford, or some people would only own one sort of garment and would have to wear the same one. You know, obviously there's things like that. But it was interesting to me to hear that like everyone wore these things. It's like women wearing I don't know. I'm trying to think of like something we all, like everybody in the world, like me and Beyonce would wear the same, I guess like a sock, like we'd all wear socks, I guess. Like, you know, everyone owns socks, right? Or like most people, I don't know. Anyway, 
Thousands and thousands of women died in the mid-19th century as a result of their hoop skirts catching fire. And they were made of, like I said, flammable fabrics most of the time, containing large pockets of air underneath. If you think about it, because like you're, I hope you're picturing what I'm picturing. It's like this, if you look up pictures on Google, it probably would be easier to visualize, but there are these like sloped sort of hoop skirts. Like, you know, it just makes that perfect like dome sort of look with the skirts on top and you'd like squish around and they, you know, were, were far apart from your body. And because of the way that they were constructed, they trapped air. Like they had these air pockets, which would fuel a blaze and were so wide that women often inadvertently brushed up against flames from candles or stovetops. Like they didn't even know. They didn't feel where the skirt was going. It wasn't like they they hit their hip or their butt on something. Like they hit their skirt on it and a lot of times would start burning up without even knowing it. Like they wouldn't feel it until it got – it was too far, you know, got too far gone. Um so alongside of fire, other hazards included the hoop skirts being caught in machinery, carriage wheels, gusts of wind, or other obstacles. Gusts of wind, like the wind would swoop underneath and like knock her over and into something. Like that is just wild that people would wear these things. In June of 1864, a newspaper reported the death of a factory worker named Ann Rawlinson from injuries that she sustained after her crinoline skirt got stuck in a revolving machine. And it was largely because of the hazards of the skirts that they began to be mocked by papers at the time. So one of the papers said, expansive, expensive, extensive, exuberant skirts, more than a city's outskirts, protuberant. Not only the height of fashion has come to this, but the breadth of the fashion is crinoline bliss. So this was a cartoon that was published in the years of 1840 to 1880. Reportedly, more than one ballerina went up in flames after dancing too close to the stage lights in their crinoline skirts. And apparently Archduchess Mathilde of Austria died in 1867 while trying to hide a cigarette behind her back while wearing a crinoline skirt. One publication at the time of all these crinoline-caused deaths said, quote, we would suggest that every lady wearing a crinoline should be accompanied by a footman with a pail of water. According to sources, the wide hooped skirts were replaced by these things called bustles in the 1870s, which were full in the back but slim in the front. And like a crinoline, the bustles allowed women to achieve this desirable shape, like the small waist, the larger hip. But the era of 18-foot hooped skirts was over because of this. But the hoop skirt caused deaths, though they went out of style, they weren't over entirely because tragically in 1923, so years and years after the hoop skirts, technically speaking, went out of style, a silent film star named Martha Mansfield was wearing one of them while she was shooting a Civil War era set movie called The Warrens of Virginia. And this movie was supposedly going to be Martha Mansfield's like big break. She was destined for greatness, everyone thought. They thought that this movie was going to launch her into the next level of Hollywood. And the film itself, it told the story of this Southern woman who falls in love with a Union soldier during the Civil War. And the film was shot in San Antonio. On November 29th, 1923, Martha Mansfield had just filmed her scenes. She was sitting in a car waiting for like the next thing that she had to do when, according to the New York Times, a smoker's match ignited her Civil War costume of her hoop skirts and flimsy ruffles. And 
it happened really fast. Like the leading man on the film, his name was Wilfred Littell. He threw his overcoat on top of her, attempting to muffle the flames. Her chauffeur suffered severe burns to his hands while trying to remove her burning clothing, but it was no use. Martha was rushed to the hospital where she died on November 30th, 1923. Just one day later, she was only 24, which is just so tragic, but this was one of the last known hoop skirt related deaths, but these things cause, like I said, thousands of women just in the burning al- alone, like the burning deaths alone accounted for thousands, according to historians. So that's wild. But if we go back just a few chapters, so we were just in 1923 with Martha, but now if we go back to the 1860s, crinoline skirts were not the only thing killing people in the name of fashion and good taste. Legend has it at the Paris Opera one evening in 1864, Empress Eugenie, the most notable it girl of her time, wore a dazzling emerald color gown so fabulous that it made newspaper headlines the very next morning. The dress, according to my sources, was a spectacular deep-set green, its colors vivid enough to remain unchanged by gaslight, and naturally, everyone wanted to get their hands on garments of this color. London-based chefs would use green dyes in their desserts, green wallpapers adorned Victorian homes, women wore green dyed gloves and would purchase artificial flowers with elaborate beautiful green foliage. Green was everywhere, but over time, These chefs would accidentally poison some dinner guests with these green-dyed desserts. The kids playing in the rooms papered with green wallpapers would develop diseases, and the women wearing these unlined green gloves would end up with sores all over their hands and dye staining their fingernails a yellowish color. So the one thing that all of these strange occurrences has in common is, of course, one specific dye color involved in each, the color green. And so, importantly, there's two different shades of green at the time that were considered highly coveted. Like, people really were obsessed with two specific shades of green, and they were called Shields Green and Emerald Green, both very similar in shade, but let me just break down each of them. So, Shields Green was invented by Carl Wilhelm Scheele back in Sweden in 1775, a very long time ago. Scheele was a very talented inventor, well-known for his work in chemistry, and he enjoyed the color wheel. He was passionate about the color wheel. He even invented another color prior to the green, but he was best known for Shields Green, which is actually close to, if you think about it, a green apple and like a light sea green. You can Google it to see exactly which shade it is, but you get the idea. It was made of various materials, but mostly arsenic. And it was actually the result color of a chemical reaction. And obviously now, today, we know that arsenic can be deadly, but when it was popular, no one really knew that. Seven tons of Shields Green dyes were being shipped out of England in 1860. And some reports say that Shield was very aware that his dye was made from toxic materials. But that being said, I don't think that he actually imagined people would die because of it. At the time, historians say it was widely believed that a small quantity, like a small amount of arsenic is okay in luxury items like face powder, pottery, clothing, and of course, interior decor, wallpaper, etc. Like as long as you're not licking it, they thought you'd be okay. Kind of in the same vein as lead. So back in those times, like people didn't think it was that serious. People used arsenic-laced cosmetics. They gave their kids toys painted with arsenic. And even 
This is crazy. They ate meats that were dipped into arsenic because they apparently it kept flies away. So arsenic was around. People were using it. They thought if maybe if you, you know, cooked the meat, didn't lick the cosmetics or the wallpaper, you'd be fine. But of course, people have been wrong in the past. So similarly to Shields Green, emerald green paints and dyes were made with a combination of copper and arsenic. And this was described as being the most vibrant of colors. The shade of green was invented by George Field, but he didn't name it after himself like Scheele. He called it emerald green, and it was produced by the Wilhelm Sattler Company in 1814, Germany. So the other name for this color is Paris green. Depending on the formula, it created It was created to be the better improved version of Shields Green. It was slightly bluer and described to look like the actual jewel emerald, which makes sense as it had a subtle tinge of blue to it, but it's mostly green. So this paint slash dye slash pigment, whatever you would use it in, was a mixture of copper and arsenic. So still had that arsenic in it, though, like I said, no one really knew it was that bad. So these green pigments, these two, Shields Green, Emerald Green, they were opaque and durable more so than any other colors on the market. So people became obsessed with them. They were used for house paints, carpets, clothes, printer inks, uh, shoes, hair accessories, artificial flowers, you name it. Green was the talk of the town. It was also used in detailing and patterns and wallpaper. And now... In retrospect, we look back, we now know that these wallpapers and materials would flake, would the dust flakes from these wallpapers and various things would float in the air and would, you know, go through the nostrils of people, especially kids. And, you know, kids lick everything. Kids always have things in their mouths. So maybe it wasn't the best idea to give a child a green painted arsenic laced toy or allow them too close to the wallpaper, you know? Um, And so they would inhale this arsenic and over time they would literally wither away, especially children and older people who didn't have the immune system. So some effects of inhaling or ingesting arsenic are cardiovascular disease, skin hyperpigmentation, neurological problems, and developmental disorders. So people around these arsenic greens would first experience ulcers and like sores in contact areas, reddish skin and peeling would happen on the skin like the lips and the nostrils. People would just overall would wither away and start to just, they were just living in pain because of this color green that they didn't know was killing them. In Paris, in the year 1859, Dr. Ange Gabriel Maxime Vernat had stopped by an artificial flower workshop. And Dr. Angie, he walked among the tables. He stopped here and there to examine the hands of the workers. He knew something was up, and he noticed that the workers' hands and arms were covered in sores and caked everywhere was this green color, this arsenic-laced green dye. And lo and behold, these artificial flower makers were slowly being killed from the outside in by their contact with the Shields green dye. One specific London flower maker that has now become famous for this happening to her, this 19-year-old girl named Matilda Scherer died on November 20th, 1861, just a few years into working in close proximity with Shields Green, and her death was widely publicized. According to historian Alison Matthews David, this girl, Matilda, 19 years old, she vomited green water, the whites of her eyes had turned green, and she told her doctor that everything she looked at was green. 
because of this deadly dye. She was literally painting these flowers for in the name of beauty, in the name of making these things for the rich people. And it killed her. It literally killed her. An autopsy confirmed that the arsenic had reached her stomach, liver, and lungs. Arsenic that she inhaled while she was at work dusting artificial leaves with green powder to make them appear more lifelike. Anyway, so arsenic affects each person differently. In drier climates, arsenic poisoning was less common due to the lack of humidity dispersing the fumes. And some inhalers of arsenic had higher tolerances to the poison than others because, as you can imagine, and like I said, a young, healthy person living in a home painted with arsenic may only have slight symptoms, slight headaches, etc., which, you know, one could say, oh, they just have a migraine or they have, you know, there's so many different causes, especially back in the 1860s, then like it would be hard for them to link it to the wallpaper or to the, the gloves that they're wearing, you know? An older person or a young child living in the same house as maybe a healthier person could easily fall ill or just die depending on their health, but also despite having the same exposure to the paint as a healthier person. So certain people were more susceptible to it. Also, the more expensive these items, the less likely they're going to flake as easily. But yeah, over time, people began to notice the pattern. And it, you know, they caught on to it. They're like, oh, okay, the young kids and the elderly are dying. And what is the common denominator? This color green that's on the walls, that's on their clothes, it's on their toys, it's in their desserts. Like they linked it finally after years. But by the time that European, British, and American governments got around to regulating arsenic, the vivid green wallpapers, the dresses, the other things, all of these things had already fallen out of fashion. So people weren't even buying them as much but not before it killed many thousands of people, all in the name of style, of fashion, and what she was wearing, like keep it up with the Joneses, you know, Duchess, Archduchess Eugenie in the beginning of the story wearing this green dress and everyone's saying, I need that. You know, it's it just makes you think, maybe you should uh, stop and think, do I really need it? Like, you know, this thing could kill me. <laughs> but yeah, it's really, really bonkers that this was such a trend and yeah, a slow burn also. So however, arsenic was still used even after they started to regulate these things. Finally, after picking up on the patterns, arsenic was still being used for things like rat poison and insecticides until 1986 when arsenic was finally deemed unsafe and banned completely. Rest in peace, arsenic. But also rest in peace to all of the people that died a very green death or a hoop skirt fire related death, like all of these things that we do. And these are just two examples of fashion trends that caused death before we knew better. Now we know better, but people still do the craziest of things, you know, in the sake of or for the sake of appearing cool and in style and fashionable. So anyway, that is, uh, yeah, fatal fashion, fatal fashion. That is today's episode of Thick and Thin, guys. Crazy stuff makes you think, and there's even more instances to both of these stories and many, many more things you guys can continue to read about if you check out the sources in the description. But thank you guys for listening, and I will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.